Your, your capacity to be offended is not something that anyone need or should respect in you. You were calling for Twitter to shut down Trump's account and yeah. we're happy that it happened. Yeah. That's a very different position to pretty much everybody else. Why did you take that position? Trump University as a story is worse than anything that could be in, in Hunter Biden's laptop, in my view. That's a, just a conspiracy, that's a left-wing conspiracy to deny the presidency to Donald Trump. Absolutely it was, absolutely. But I think it was warranted. But Sam. But you can't do that, Sam. You've got to be fair. <laughs> Most people in our society, even if they're nominally religious, really are struggling to to find meaning in, the, in their day-to-day. -day. But when you look at just the, the hour by hour increments at which you know, life is doled out to us, you're, you're cast out of deep sleep or, or you know, the phantasmagoria of, of dreams, you know, when the alarm goes off in the morning. And how do you feel about your life? And what is going to give you moral urgency and meaning? Millions and millions of people found it at specific moments in our, in our you know, recent history. Like the George Floyd killing was certainly one of those moments where it's like, okay, enough is enough. This is my religion. Did you know that you can ask guests your questions. That's right. When you join our locals community, not only will you know who we're about to interview, you have the opportunity to ask them your questions. You have the chance to ask Jordan Peterson, the co-founder of Extinction Rebellion, Nigel Farage, Douglas Murray, Andrew Doyle, Jeff Norcott, Simon Evans, Larry Elder, David Badil, Andrew Sullivan, Megan Kelly, Julia Hartley Brewer, Lord Nigel Lawson, Brett Weinstein, Inaya Falarin Iman, Dr. David Nutt, Jimmy Dore, Gad Sad, Blair White, Melissa Chen, Trevor Phillips, Ian Hersey Ali, Glenn Lowry, Bridger Fettersy, Jim Rickards, Carl Benjamin, and so many more. Plus, we're about to interview some of the biggest guests in the world. We can't name them just yet, but trust me, they're huge. Metaphorically speaking, not just because they're American. Our Locals gives you access to a great community of like-minded people where you can share memes and make new and problematic friends. You also get early access to live shows and we're about to release details of our tour so you'll want to know about that as well. On the higher tiers you get monthly supporter calls and the opportunity to have a meal or a call with us. Click the link below or go to trigonometry.locals Dot com and join the community. That's trigonometry.locals.com. We'll see you there. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Trigonometry on the Road from the USA. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kissin. And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Delighted to say our brilliant guest today is a neuroscientist, philosopher and one of America's and the world's most prominent public intellectual, Sam Harris. Welcome to Trigonometry. Thanks, guys. Yeah, great to be here. It is great to have you on the show. Uh, we mentioned that usually when we start the show, we ask our guests to introduce themselves. You're well known enough that you don't need to do that. But what we did want to talk to you about, which is what we've been asking a lot of our guests on this trip in the US, is 
How are you who you are? Uh, because you've done things that most people wouldn't do or wouldn't want to do, would be scared to do, calling out some ideologies that people are afraid to call out. That takes courage, but it also takes determination. It takes something. Mm -hmm. Why do you have that something? How did you get it? It's a hard question to answer. I mean, I, I think there's uh, one algorithm I'm running more than most, uh, which is you know, what I would call intellectual honesty, right? And, and so you're, the, the burden is not to be who you were yesterday. The burden isn't to join some tribe who, who you know, you'll get social uh, reinforcement from for, you know, conforming to. Um, so it's insofar as I'm continually just trying to figure out what's true and what's consistent with what I claimed was true five minutes ago or five years ago, uh, that causes me to just bump up against taboos and and blasphemies and ideologies that that um, are more rigid than that, right? I mean, if you're, if I mean, really, it's it's, I mean, even having an identity itself is too much. You know, it's like you not only can you not really conform to a tribe, you can't really even conform to who you were yesterday, if. Your, your, your master value is to be honest and rigorous and available to new data, new arguments, and, and uh, new insights. That's a very good answer, but doesn't answer my question, which is how did you become that way? Why are you that yeah, way? Yeah, I have no idea. I just, like, that was my, you know, factory setting. And so from a very early age, uh, you know, I, I guess I showed up as a, a skeptic on many fronts. I mean, I was, I was certainly an argumentative Teenager, you know. So, so yeah. I mean, that was that was really uh, uh, some kind of default, and uh, that part really hasn't changed. I, th I think I pick my battles better now than I, I used to. I mean, I could use, you know, I could turn any dinner party into a you know a knockdown dragout debate about the most fundamental issues uh, anyone could summon. And you know, I think I, um, as I get older, I pick my battles more um, just because I like that the hassle factor of touching certain topics in certain ways has has become more salient for me I mean I, Twitter was the, the was the real teaching tool for me like I I just you know I, I got on the platform as everyone did not really aware that I was enrolling myself into a psychological experiment to which no one had consented and and the the outcome is as yet unforeseen and um, yeah, I just kind of let loose, uh, you know, with on uh, various topics, and I would, you know, when I would see some malefactor there who was treating me or other people badly, well, then I had to deal with that right then and there. And, and um, yeah, it's just a, the, the hassle factor of dealing with the the toxicity of it, and also just the the. Um, I'm convinced now that at bottom, it's a misrepresentation of humanity, right? It doesn't seem like, I mean, you're actually dealing with what someone wrote there. I mean, it's not, it's not in error, but you're not getting the whole person. You're getting a, a, um, uh, a part of them that has been amplified by the, the frame in, into which the conversation has been put. And the, the frame has certain features that are not helpful to good conversation. I mean, it's got anonymity. It's got, you know, it's got, facelessness. It's got um, the performative aspect. You're doing it in front of your crowd or some possible crowd. 
Uh, so it just, it, you know, it's disastrous for intellectual honesty and, and um, compassion and, uh, you know, theory of mind, under actually understand, taking the, t- uh, the extra moment to understand where the other person is coming from. And so it's, you know, there's no principle of charity. So it's just, it's really a disastrous machine for uh, manufacturing discord. We had a, a guest on the show called Richard Grannon who made the point that what it does is reduces everyone to an avatar. Mm. So if everyone's an avatar, what does it matter if you attack them, if you, you know, right. dehumanize them, if you misrepresent them? Because the game is to win, right? It's not to actually have a discussion, it's to destroy and ultimately to win. Yeah, well, especially if you're not, if you're a public person dealing with people who are not public people, right? Because th- then there's really, the, it's, then it's just a single shot, you know, lottery. It's not a, there, there's no ongoing future of collaboration or cooperation that is, is being maintained. I mean, it's even bad when you have two public people who, you know, are, who know, both know they're going to mm-hmm. meet each other in real life at some point. Still, the, the, the wheels come off rather often uh, to a surprising degree. But, um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, I, in the end, I think it's bad technology, which is it's, it's still somewhat inscrutable because it seems like it should be good. I mean, in, and in some ways it is good because you're seeing, you know, it, you're, you're seeing a lot of smart people tell you what the most interests them and most worries them on a daily basis and, you know, sending you articles and and videos that you, and that's, that's why I'm on, that's why I can't break my connection to it because I'm following so many smart people who are curating me an information diet that I still appreciate. Um, and then I, you know, occasionally put my own stuff out there just so it's like a kind of a marketing channel, but I'm doing much less in the weeds back and forth with, you know, even public people who I notice, uh, you know, you know, poke me on, on a given issue or whatever. So. Sam, does it not go, do you not have a little thought in your head when you go to tackle these very contentious subjects you know, and you know that you're going to get pushback. You know that you're going to get flat. You know that you're going to get misrepresented. Do you not think oh, I really shouldn't be doing this? Or what goes through your mind before you go out and you make your point? Well, again, I I, uh, I think about it more than I used to now. I, mean, I used to I used to do it very. There was basically there was no friction in the system. I mean, I just was like, okay, this is like that. That cartoon meme, you know, somebody on the internet is wrong about something. And uh-huh. that's, you know, I was that guy on Twitter, and um, so I'm not that guy anymore. And I really do pick my moments, and there's a cost to that because there's, you know, that you you decide to sit certain uh, moment, you know, cultural moments, and you sit on the sidelines, and um, but. I mean, if, if I guess I could, if I could dis- distill it to a to a lesson here, it's like a, you're not you don't you don't always need to have an opinion mm-hmm. about everything, right? You certainly don't always need to have a strong opinion about everything, and even if you do have a strong opinion, you don't always have to be the person expressing that opinion because very likely someone else will, right? And you know, given you know, given those adjustments to the to the machine, you you can. Just decide, you know, is this, do I really want to spend the next 24 hours dealing with the aftermath <laughs> of this thing that I'm tempted to tweet, mm. right? Or to say in some other format. And in particular, it, it, it relates to 
the likelihood that certain personalities are going to go berserk. And then with certain people, it's, it, you know, it's, it's guaranteed that they're going to go berserk. <laughs> so like, do I, I yeah, here's this, this, this odious uh, opinion expressed by a, you know, a semi-odious person who really deserves to hear what I think right now. Is it worth, you know, whacking that hornet's nest and then just dealing with, dealing with and being seen to deal with or to, or to not deal with and to maybe look like you can't deal with the aftermath, yeah. right? It's like- uh, Sam, you talked about tribalism at the beginning and that's something that Francis and I both feel very strongly is contributing to much of the divisiveness and the, the way things are going. And look, let's be clear, you know, the show is called Trigonometry. We want to explore difficult subjects. There's no question that neither him or I are woke in the, in the consent opposing right. that ideology has been a big part of what we do. But the tribalism is is a, is a different thing. We don't want to be in the anti-woke tribe or the yeah, woke yeah. tribe, right? Yeah. And there was a tribe around 2015, 2016, this very small tribe of very smart people, mm. uh, which was referred to as the intellectual dark web, which I remember at that time, we weren't doing this, we we're just two comedians. I remember watching you guys have those conversations and right. being inspired by people. I don't think you guys had the answers, but you had the right questions. You mm. did have the right questions. And then over time, we watched that loose tribe of very bright people, as loose tribes of very bright people always do, crumble, disintegrate, right. fall out. Yeah. What happened? Well, but the first thing that happened is that it was actually, for some of us more than others, a tongue-in-cheek label for a tribe that really wasn't. I mean, none of us are tribal people. You know, it really is a, a herding cats sort of situation. Mm-hmm. And... When I launched, so, you know, it was Eric Weinstein coinage, which I launched on a, a podcast we did. Uh, and I think in that context, I, I telegraphed that I thought it was tongue in cheek. I mean, I think he probably thought it was more in earnest than, than I did, or he was at least more attached to the, the label. Um, and then very quickly, there were people who sort of joined this, this collection uh, or who were said to be in it, who some of whom I had never heard of at that point, who, you know, upon just a little bit of analysis, revealed themselves to be people who I, you know, I really don't agree with, not not just on the actual substance of specific opinions, just just their methodology by which they would generate opinions or their lack of methodology. Um, so, you know, I'm not inclined to name names, but there are people who, like, it just it's just wrong to think you know, they were ever moving in the same lane I was in at that point when we were all called IDW people, right? Um, but I think the biggest force of fragmentation was Trump and what certain people did or didn't do with that phenomenon, you know? And, and this and is what I was going to ask you. I'd say there were two things that fractured yeah. from that looking... I mean, can, can COVID ask. later, but, right. but yeah. Trump, Trump was the So the let's big start one. Yeah. with Trump, because yeah. I want to talk about COVID as well. But if we yeah. start with Trump, you took a, a different view to almost everybody, I would say, in what was described as the IDW, in, right. in the sense that you were, uh, I think you were calling for Twitter to shut down Trump's account and yeah. were happy that it happened. Yeah. That's a very different position to pretty much everybody else. Why did you take that position? Well, for two reasons. One, so the the non, uh, the generic reason is, and this is something I've never gotten a clear answer on from any of the people who t- took the different side of this. Um, 
And many, so many of these people are ostensibly libertarians, or at least you know, quasi-libertarians, and they they want a, a, something like a minimum of state coercion and and control. They don't want just a, a proliferation of laws to you know just to to make our lives more difficult. Um, and that's a that's an orientation. You know, though I'm I consider myself liberal, and have always voted as a Democrat. I mean, until until we dealt with this woke apocalypse, you know, I, I would have certainly called myself a Democrat without much self-consciousness. Um, I, you know, I've, I've always had this libertarian uh, kind of underpinning to my, my politics, which is, you know, if the private sector can handle it, it's probably best done there, right? I mean, just given the level of inefficiency and, and, and poor, poorly aligned incentives you get in a government bureaucracy. Uh, and peaceful, honest people should be, should have the right to be left alone. You know, so it's like, if, unless somebody is harming people or, um, you know, guilty of fraud, you know, the, the IE theft, but, you know, uh, um, and, you know, stealing from people, we don't need the government involved. And, um, so, you know, that's my general framework. And many people ostensibly in, in this group ostensibly agreed with that, um, so when I look at Twitter, you know, Twitter is a company that can decide to, you know, I mean, as someone who has started, you know, information-based companies at this point, I'm just thinking about what, what is, what's the scenario under which I would want the government to force me to have Alex Jones on my podcast or to have Donald Trump on my podcast? Shouldn't I be able to have anyone I want on my podcast? Is it conceivable that my podcast could grow so big or that my, you know, that any other platform, you know, I, I've considered creating a social media platform, right? If that could grow so big that suddenly the government would have an interest in forcing me to have people on it who, for whatever reason, I object to having on it. I mean, I, so I, this is this is some this is a way in which I'm I'm more extreme than than most people on the left. Like I I do think at this point in history, you should be able to have a social media platform and exclude any specific group you want and just say, that's the way we do it, right? And if you don't like it, boycott us, right? So like, I, I wouldn't have said this in 1964 when, we're, when we have to pass a Civil Rights Act. But at this point, I think you should have the right to be an asshole who destroys your reputation and, and suffers the, the, the penalties in, you know, in the marketplace of ideas, right? So I think if, if you want to just have a social media network for beautiful people, right, or people who are, you know, guys who are over six feet two and blonde hair and blue eyes, right, you know, I can't get on, you should feel free to, you know, raise money for that enterprise, launch it, and I'll be, you know, I'll laugh when it fails, right? So like that's, now, under some construal, that kind of thing, you know, is or should be illegal, you know, if you're, if you're just a, a normal person uh, on the left, but... Uh, I don't think, I think at this moment in history, it shouldn't be. But in any case, I just, when I look at Twitter, I see a company that has a term, has terms of service, which people like Alex Jones and Trump clearly violated. I mean, whether they in fact violated this terms of service as written, I think they violated any uh, coherent terms of service that, that Twitter should have had, right? Like you, you shouldn't knowingly be able to turn your mob on a private citizen and ruin their life, lives through doxing, right? Which is what Jones and Trump were doing. It just again and again and again to people. Every time, I mean, 
Jones was doing it with the Sandy Hook parents, right? You literally have... But Sam, you're conflating two very different people. I mean, Alex Jones does not belong in this conversation. Yeah. I'm not interested in Alex no, Jones no, right well, now. No, but I would dispute that. I think Trump is essentially, we got Alex Jones as president of the United States. I don't think they're very different people. I think that it's the same phenomenon How in, so? my, in my world. Because just the, the level of, of misinformation, disinformation, lying, the charlatanism, the, 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 the conscious fraudulence of everything at scale, and the targeting of individuals with, with, with known consequences, right? Like, like Trump, every time Trump singles out a specific citizen and says, look at this jackass who's, you know, trying to, you know, whatever, whatever the, the claim would be, that is a human sacrifice. We know that person's life is just never the same again because he's turned tens of millions of morons on that person and, you know, vicious morons on that. I mean, like, I mean, that's the, the, the core of the Trump phenomenon is now and has been for many years. I mean, really since the beginning, since he, you know, certainly since he became the front runner and, and certainly since he became elected in 2016, it's a personality cult. I mean, it has all the dynamics of a personality cult. These are not reasoning. Yes, there are some, there are a few calculated people like Peter Thiel on the margins who have some story as to why they would back him, right? But the core of the cult, you know, which is all, you know, nested with QAnon and 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 uh, conspiracy thinking and the big lie and, you know, it's it, like Trump can do no wrong, right? He's, um, that is so, it's, I mean, as a Venn diagram, it's just, it overlaps 80% with Alec, the Alex Jones phenomenon. So I just, I see them as the same problem. I see these, these are, these are, you know, if they're not actually clinical, clinically, you know, diagnosable as psychopaths, they're the next best thing. These are people who are so malignantly selfish and so careless with respect to the consequences of their actions in the lives of others that if you if you are if you own a platform or you're you know it's, you're overseeing a public a, pub, a public company that owns a platform, it, why should the government force you to keep these people on? Right, like, why, like you should be free to say, sorry, you're not, not on my watch. Are you going to be having these consequences? And with, with Trump, it was after January sixth. There was just I mean that's when it happened. I, I thought it happened a year too late, but I mean, January 6th finally convinced Dorsey he should kick Trump off. And that, I mean, if that's not gonna convince you that, you know, we have, we, we had a, at that point, we had a sitting president who for months and months and months, I mean, you know, at least six or eight months, you know, certainly months prior to the November election, would not commit to a peaceful transfer of power. And then he did, you know, certainly something, whether it was everything in his power or just a lot, he managed to see that we did not have a peaceful transfer of power, right? And then, you know, so who, what's going to, what's the mob going to do on January 7th and 8th and 9th, you know, if you just leave Trump on the platform? I thought, I mean, I just thought it was a, a very simple decision to kick him off. And, and it, 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 totally analogous to the Alex Jones decision. I mean, Alex Jones is just, less consequential, but I mean, there, there are Sandy Hook parents who have had to move 10 times since their kids were murdered. That's all on Alex Jones, right? And it's, and it's all conscious. It's all, it's all, it's all, he could see the consequences of his actions in real time. 
It's not like he woke up after you know five years and thought, oh my God, I can't believe that you know it was totally inadvertent. I released a podcast and you know then it, it had this totally unforeseeable consequence in the lives of the, these grieving parents. No, no, he monetized their misery with just a blizzard of lies. Yeah, I, Alex yeah. Jones is, a, for me, yeah. a different case, but, yeah, but I hear I, what but you're I saying. Think Trump, I mean, Trump is just... I hear what you say. He got, in he your got, mind, they're, they're similar. He I got the you. reputation washing of having successfully become president. You know, he's Alex Jones. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Francis, before you, you move us into COVID, uh, let me try from a different angle, Sam, sure. because I want to explore this intellectual point. Yeah. Right? Do you really want to live in a country where you have a digital public square, which in my opinion, Twitter is. We can disagree about that if you want, but that's my opinion. It's a digital public square. And you have a company that has clearly one-sided enforcement. I I hear what you're saying about delegitimizing the electoral process that Trump did. And I was concerned about that. I think you can't question the system in that way. But when you see that he gets banned and then a story about Hunter Biden gets banned, Mm. that under the guise of it being Russian disinformation, we later learn it wasn't Russian disinformation. That to a lot of people seems like, you know, I said when we were talking to Joe Rogan, it's putting your hand on the scales in favor of one side. In the digital public square, you add that to the banning of Trump and lots of other people being banned from one side predominantly. Is that... Is that the world you want to live in, where one team gets to just ban people it disagrees with off the platform? It gets to pretend that things that are true are not true. It gets to shut down the sharing of information with people who want to make their own democratic choice. Well, it's a it's a hard question, and there are pieces of the question that are individually hard. It's like the Hunter Biden laptop story is something that I still don't have a. Uh, full opinion about. I actually don't know what we should have done about that. I mean, so I, so I see the reason, I see both sides of, of it. I, I can argue either side of it. The, the, so let's leave that piece aside. The bias on the platform, so, so either Twitter is a company that can do what it wants, right? It can have its own terms of service. It can change its policies. It can, it can, change, you know, it can decide to, you know, it, it can have a point of view or not, right? Or we have to seize it as some kind of, you know, crucial piece of public infrastructure that has to. to Do you not think that it is a terms. crucial piece of public infrastructure? I think I think people who are addicted to Twitter feel it is. <laughs> right. Most you know, and and I think it's you know I don't think it should should be. Um, and it's it's odd to say that it's just so. It's first of all, it's just. I mean. Facebook is much, much, much bigger, right? It's just that we have a lot of smart people, journalists, uh, brands, uh, political people focus, concentrated on Twitter. So Twitter moves the, the conversation more than Facebook does, but it's, it's, it's the scale of it is much smaller. Um, I don't know. I just feel like people can start their own companies, which they have, right? They can start competitors at Twitter. There are many people who, you know, Twitter is not, it's, it's still a failing business, right? It's mm-hmm. like, it's not, it doesn't work really. I um, mean, Facebook is is a much better business. Um, there's nothing stopping Facebook from becoming stickier for intellectuals and journalists and, 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 and attracting more of the conversation over there. Um I don't know. It's just it's it's an extreme move to say you 
you can't you can't be biased, right? Like who's who's going to say that? But behind behind the saying of that is a law in the end, and there and therefore it's a gun. Therefore it's 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 jail time for the person who wants to keep breaking the law, right? So like just imagine imagine if Twitter the Twitter board is like what you. Everyone gets what they want, you know. Everyone who's who's of this opinion gets mm-hmm. what they want. You just we're gonna, we're going to come in and 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 enforce something like um, uh, a zero bias state in Twitter, insofar as that's possible. And if the if the employees and the board just say, you know, sorry, we we have a point of view. We want we want to have we we don't like these people and we like these people. Um, what so now? You just break up the company. You just say, you, you, you know, I mean, I, I thought what I thought it should have happened with Twitter is I thought Jack Dorsey should have deleted it. I mean, I literally thought he should would have got the Nobel Peace Prize had he just <laughs> at a certain point deleted it, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. So in any case, should there should they be forced to be impartial? I'm very skeptical of that. Should they be cajoled by unhappy people like yourselves or like you know the, uh, um, you know, the Trump fans to um, to I'm behave just better? The argument yeah, Sam. I mean, I think so. Yeah, yes, I think if they were going to be imp- the first thing to admit is it may be impossible to do this impeccably, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's like the, until we have you know perfect artificial intelligence, it's just going to be impossible to be truly consistent with your terms of service because you're always going to be able to find the example of the thing that was not appropriately moderated. Yes, uh, but if we all know that if that laptop was Donald Trump's junior, oh yeah, this would be 100%. treated. That's, oh, yeah. that's all I'm asking. Oh yeah. About, right? well, so, so, but that's a, so let's take that piece. Um, I think it was totally appropriate to view Trump in a to be existing in a in a domain that was orthogonal to partisan politics. I my criticism of Trump is totally nonpartisan, right? There is absolute there's literally nothing I say about Trump that I could say about any other Republican, right? And I think Liz Cheney is a total hero, right? So so and I don't agree with her politics at all, right? Like Liz Cheney is a religious maniac by my lights, right? And in in that sense Kind of a terrifying political figure, like 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 that, like the the old me who you know was just worried about the Christian theocracy in, in the United States, um, would have just revolted at everything she would attempt to implement as a politician. But at this moment, she's you know she has no bigger fan than me because of how she's dealing with the Trump phenomenon. The Trump phenomenon is not a matter of political partisanship. He is a he is just a sui generis uh, phenomenon, and it's again it's, it's it's analogous to having elected Alex Jones president of the United States. It's it's a it's a it's not a matter of his like I probably agree with half of his policies or more than half of his policies. It's not a matter of policy. It's a matter of having someone who's totally unfit to have power be given more power than any person in a generation. And and he's unfit for in every possible way. It's like it's not it's not that he's just got a, a few screws loose. Like every screw is loose. Every screw that you would want totally cranked down is loose or non-existent in him. 
Um, and so, yeah, so it's, but that, that's my argument. It's like, so, so my argument is that it was appropriate for Twitter and the heads of big tech and, journal, and the heads of journalistic organizations to feel that they were in the presence of something like a, a once in a lifetime moral emergency, right? Whereas this is not the same thing as not liking George Bush, you know, or not liking John McCain or not liking Mitt Romney for their politics. This was, here's a guy who is capable of anything, right? He's not, he's not ideological, but he's, again, he's, he's a black hole of selfishness, right? He's, he's, he's just, and so there's no telling what he's going to do. Um, and we cannot afford to have four more years with this guy, right? And, and, and so, um, so what, what should well-intentioned people do who have a lot of power in these various ways? You know, you're running the New York Times, you're running CNN, you're running Twitter. What should they conspire to do? Admit that it's their fault. <laughs> Admit that? that Trump is their fault. And look, that, I'm well, someone the, from oh, the left. Absolutely. So. That, that's, well, no, that, that's the perverse thing. It's totally their fault. He, I mean, CNN, CNN gave us Trump, right? Yeah. Well, no, no, before CNN gave us Trump, Mark Burnett gave us Trump. I mean, that is, if, if there's one person who could have not done what he did and, and could have closed the door to this whole phenomenon, it, it was Mark Burnett. Um, but yeah, no, by giving him the attention, you know, but he was, he was great ratings, you know, for a year, for the whole run up to, to the 2016 election. Oh yeah, no. There, no one has clean hands here. But it, it, at the eleventh hour, when it's when, who knows how this election is going to go? Who know? Who knows what the capacity for, you know, disinformation at the last minute to to tip the balance is? Then what do you do with the Hunter Biden laptop story? When we already know, we we know how this played out in 2016 with the Hillary Clinton email you know, press conference where, where Comey in, 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 a, in an abundance of scrupulosity felt like he had to come before the cameras, I think 10 days out from the election and say, you know, we've, we're going to open up this, this investigation again because we've got Anthony Weiner's laptop. Uh, we could see, I mean, again, her failure to become president was overdetermined. She was a, an appallingly bad candidate. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of just tracking the poll numbers, you could like that was that was the killing blow to her candidacy, right? That that final moment, and this was a this was a highly analogous situation. This was we're going to open up this laptop from hell, and the news cycle for who knows how long is going to be just a, just the, the, conceivably just a nuclear bomb of a, an October October surprise, and. We're going to get four more years of Trump if we actually give this a fair hearing. But Sam, but you can't do that, Sam. Surely you've got to realize that you've got to be <laughs> fair. And number the thing that I want to we're talk, all equal before the law. Yeah, and aren't then, we? And the other this isn't the law. But I know it's not the law. law. But yeah. if this is if you accept my my supposition that this is the public square, then it is the law. It is if it is the public square, then it is law. Now you are arguing it's not the public square, which is fair enough. Yeah. Right, that's right. fine. Yeah, Look, no. why don't we move on? Because I think we, we've done enough. Yeah, sure. Yeah. He's of sucked course. up a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got a habit of doing that. Yeah. 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 No, but I'll just say, just finally, I, I do, th again, it's like a coin toss for me, the Hunter mm -hmm. Biden laptop thing. Because I, I do understand how, 
corrosive it is for an institution like the, the New York Times to show obvious bias and inconsistency and dishonesty in how they, because like they couldn't even frame it honestly. It's not like, <laughs> it, it's not like, it's like the way I would frame it is, uh, listen, I don't care what's in Hunter Biden's life. I mean, Hunter Biden, at that point, Hunter Biden literally could have had, had the corpses of children in his basement. I would not have cared. Right. It's like, it's, there's nothing. First of all, it's Hunter Biden, right? It's not, it's like, it's not Joe Biden, but even if Joe, like even the, whatever scope of Joe Biden's corruption is, like if you, if we could just go down that rabbit hole endlessly and, and understand that he's getting kickbacks from Hunter Biden's deals in Ukraine or wherever else, right? Or China, it is infinitesimal compared to the corruption we know Trump is involved in. It's like it's like it's like a firefly to the sun, right? I mean, like there, there's just it doesn't even it doesn't even stack up against Trump University, right? Trump University as a story is worse than anything that could be in in Hunter Biden's laptop, in my view, right? Now that's not that doesn't answer the people who say it's still completely unfair to not have looked at the laptop in a timely way and to have shut down the you know the New York Post's. Twitter account like that that's a, just a conspiracy that's a left wing conspiracy to deny the presidency to Donald Trump absolutely it was absolutely right but i think it was warranted right and i'm and again it's a coin toss as to whether or not Sam, I'm sorry. that particular piece I'm, I'm really yeah. sorry i i was the one that said we should move yeah, yeah. on but you've just oh, said yeah. something i really struggle with it. there which is the you kid, support the, kid, the, kid, the kids in the basement you no no <laughs> fuck yeah. the kids in the basement i'm interested yeah. in democracy you're saying you are content with a left-wing conspiracy to prevent somebody being democratically re-elected as president. Well, no, I'm, I'm content. Well, so it's, but the thing is, it's just not left-wing, right? So Liz Cheney is not left-wing, right? Liz Cheney you're is doing everything in her power. You're content with a conspiracy to prevent somebody no, being but democratically it's not elected. A, no, but there's nothing, conspiracy, it's not, it, it was a conspiracy out in the open, it does, but it doesn't matter if it was, a, it doesn't matter what part's conspiracy, what part's out in the open. I mean, I think it's like, if people get together and talk and talk about what should we do with, about this phenomenon, you know, if, if it's like if there if there was an asteroid hurtling toward Earth, and and we got in a room together with all of our friends and had a conversation about what we could do to deflect its course, right? Is that a conspiracy? You know, like some of that conversation would be in public, some of it would be in private. We have a massive problem. We have an existential threat, right? Politically speaking, I consider Trump an existential threat to our democracy. Right now, it's not, he's not going to destroy the world, very well, likely. If he destroyed but, democracy in the process of protecting democracy. No, that, but that doesn't destroy. No, our our. I'm not. What I'm not suggesting at no point was I suggesting we should stuff ballots or no, or, no. or or actually break the machinery of democracy, but the all pol political opinion is already being just, just completely inundated with misinformation, biased takes, half-truths, mm -hmm. and outright lies, right? Like, and, and, yeah. Or just the amplification of, of bad or misleading information based on you know, the algorithm, right? Um, so that's, it's, like it's, it's already just an abattoir of opinion, right? And now the question is, you know what can you do with your own biases and your own the, 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 to, to 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 get the outcome you think is actually better, not just for yourself personally, but for the world, right? So like I have like 
it is, I'm completely unconflicted in, in the claim that, a, tr- that a, a first Trump term was bad and a second Trump term would be bad. And it literally doesn't matter what, was, what, what else was on the, the menu. Like literally, pick, a, pick a, a random American better than Trump in the, in the Oval Office. Like the, the, the likelihood that you're going to get someone who's worse than Trump, given what I consider that is bad about Trump, is, I mean, it's, it's on the order of one in a million, right? Like you're just not, you're not going to get, you're not going to get worse than Trump if you pick at random. And, you know, Hillary Clinton, for all of her flaws, was not worse than Trump. Joe Biden, for Joe Biden, we could have known Joe Biden was going to just be comatose in office, not worse than Trump, Right. Um, Kamala Harris, not worth like, like it's all. And, and, and again, it's not just a, a marginal call. It's just these are people who are normal politicians who are so much more constrained by predictable machinery, right? There's, there's like there's, there's such less of an opportunity there to destroy institutions that we have to rely on. Right, if, with with any of those people in charge, including a random person in charge, a random person who's going to be terrified at the responsibility of the office and default to expert opinion, you know, uh, across the board. Um, no, Trump is again. Trump is an Alex Jones level figure for me. And, okay. And okay. so you know, it's it's analogous. Like a smaller problem is to just for some billionaire to buy the New York Times and give it to Alex Jones to run. Right. That would be an enormous. would be a catastrophic loss. And mistake, but that's a smaller problem than getting Trump reelected. The last question I'm going to ask, which actually isn't yeah. really about Trump, is I think, could you agree that with Trump, the reason he is created is because he is a symptom of the system whereby people, ordinary people, feel that their voices aren't being heard? Yeah. They realize that, you know, Washington is a machine that doesn't particularly care about, about them. They were betrayed time after time, many times by the Democrats, many times by the Democrats who said that they were representing ordinary working people, like oh, yeah. the Labour Party were in my country. And they felt that these politicians didn't care. So why not vote for Trump? What else have you got to lose? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I think that explains most of the, his support and certainly his success. Yeah. But but I think I think we should be honest about how um, well both uninformed and nihilistic by turns that attitude is right. It's just like it, it's not. I mean that that is like the the clearest eruption of Thanatos you know in our lifetime right. It's just like let's I'm let's just burn it all down on some level. Like, he, this guy's our wrecking ball. We hate the elites. We hate the so-called experts. Go fuck yourselves. We're just <laughs> going to enjoy just watching this thing, you know, you know, swing through everything you care about and, and uh, uh, you know, just uh, the sounds of explosions are going to just give us pleasure, right? Like, that, like, that's where we are with tens of millions of people in this country. That's a, you know, that is a... Uh, a very scary basis from which to try to, uh, you know, cooperate at scale and and um, produce political outcomes that are actually going to be good, right? And 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 again, the, the extremes amplify each other, right? So you've got 
Trumpism, and not, there was no greater goad to wokeism than Trumpism, right? And so, like, and you know, I, I put myself, you know, in second place to nobody, uh, you know, although I probably spent a little bit less time on it than than some people we could name. In my, in the revulsion I feel to the the extreme left, you know, activism. Right, I mean, it's just it's 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 as dishonest as it can possibly be, um, and it's and its dishonesty is harder to parse for smart people. Smart ethical people find what's happening on the left much more confusing than what's happening on the right. So it's like so people ask me like, and, and so and I spend much more time focused on the left than I than I do on Trump or on the right because. Not in this interview, Sam. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, you, 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 you go to me. But look, you, you got the full dose of my Trump Revulsion yeah. is a strong word. Why yeah. do you, and I feel exactly the same thing, and you yeah. know why. We talked about my book before. I come from a society that's seen some of these ideas yeah, yeah. being implemented. Yeah. Why do you feel revulsion, a very, very strong emotion, about this ideology? Well, because it's... Um, I mean, one, it is destroying institutions that I actually care about, right? So, like, you know, white supremacy and far-right lunacy is not affecting institutions that matter, you know, by my lights, right? You know, you could argue it, it affected the, you know, the White House and, and the U.S. government to some degree at the margins. I mean, again, I think, I think um, allegations of Trump's racism or his alignment with the far right, far right and white supremacy. I think that's been massively exaggerated by the left, and you know most of most of the claims to his. I have I actually have no doubt that he's actually racist, but most of the public claims to his racism, I think, are obviously false and and you know inconsistent. And um, so it's. Uh, I mean, I think you have to be intellectually honest, even as you deride mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. dangerous uh, people and extremes. Um, so. Uh, The le- so the, the left has, you know, as I'm sure you've pointed out many times on, on your show, I mean, it has, it has captured institutions. It has yeah. captured yeah. academia. It's captured journalism. It's captured science to an amazing degree. It's captured Hollywood. It's, um, and for reasons that are understandable, because, you know, it is hard to figure out what's wrong with Black Lives Matter as, as a movement. As a, it's like it's, you, you look at it, you know, for, it, it's, it's almost perfectly engineered to just you know get past the the the, the blood brain barrier and just attach to all the right ethical receptor sites right it's like it's just this is this is uh of course i care about uh, you know uh, of course racism is 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 disgusting i would the last thing i would want to be as a racist of course i acknowledge the the, the the legacy of slavery and and just how hard fought all of our civil rights gains have been in the united states of course i don't want you know members of minority groups feeling victimized you know much less being victimized uh you know i want fair hiring practices i would you know, just just check all the boxes on on you know if, to have a good liberal conscience right if you're that sort of person and you you're confronted by Black Lives Matter as a social phenomenon and the protests over George Floyd and all of that, it is very hard to see that you're in the presence of a completely dishonest moral panic, right? Because there's so many points of contact with real grievance, 
or potential points of contact with real grievance. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's harder to parse, therefore more interesting, and is also more consequential in my world because it's vitiating the New York Times and Princeton University and, you know, Science Magazine. And it's like, it's just, it's, um, it's, a, it's a full-on moral panic out there. And, and what's more, you have this layer of smart people who think all of that's being exaggerated, right? It's not really happening. It's just a few college campuses. It's a few kids, you know, on, on, a, few, on a few college campuses. It's just like, you know, 18 people at Yale, you know, uh, lambasting uh, Nicholas Christakis and everyone else is really just a bystander to this. And it's, it's, um, uh, it's all being exaggerated. The kernel of truth there is it really is, it's still a minority of people who actually believe this stuff. But, you know, you only need something like five or 8% of, you know, really energized activist minority to completely co-opt a conversation. And that's what has been accomplished. And But it's not just they're, they're a minority. They're an exceptionally powerful minority, yeah. Sam. Oh, yeah. You know, they're the ones who dictate culture. They're the ones who set the tone. They're the ones who, you know, who edit and create newspapers. 100%. So that's the real problem, isn't it? But the question that I want to ask you is, where do you think this is going to go? Where do you think this is going to end up? Because he's more positive about it, and I'm a rabid pessimist. Right. Where do you think yeah. this is going to go? Well, I, I think, um, if I had to bet, I think the vapors of wokeism will magically dissipate at a certain point. I think it's, I think it's just whether we're going to have one example of hypocrisy or, um, you know, just one own goal that is so spectacular that <laughs> everyone will just uh, all of a sudden pretend that they were never woke. You know, like whether it's going to be the, just going to be a salient moment where you can you can point to in your timeline, or it's just going to be this magical dissipation of uh, you know where people start making much more sense on these topics. I, if I had to bet, I would think that's going to happen, and I don't think it's so. I, and I think it's going to happen in some short order. I don't think we're going to be having this conversation in five years. I would, I, will, I would be very surprised if we're having this conversation in five years. Now, that, that you know, count me, I guess, as an optimist on that front. Um, and I certainly could be wrong, but I would be surprised. Um, I mean, the one caveat I would, I would put there is if we get four more years of Trump, then that goes completely out the window. I mean, I think, or if, or if we get four more years of Trump or a Trump-like phenomenon that's just as provocative to the left, then, then that calculation changes. But if we, got a, if we got a normal presidency in 2024, you know, Democrat or Republican, um, I think the woke thing has just become so unpragmatic. And um, yeah, I just, I just don't, I don't see how people don't, begin aging out of it uh, in some short order. I mean, it's, it's somewhat analogous to the, I mean, it's a, it's a much bigger phenomenon, but it is analogous to the the child sexual abuse satanic panic thing we had. And I don't know if you guys had it in, in England and you- No, you, we just had the Catholic church. Yeah, right, that's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah which is, the, tr yeah, which is yes. the true version of many of these concerns, yeah. 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 Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in the States, I don't know if you know the story that- um, uh, the, the journalist Lawrence Wright 
uh, told on my podcast, uh, but he, he wrote a book on, on this. And uh, when he was doing a, the New Yorker article that became a book, he was, so he was just re- researching the whole satanic panic phenomenon. And this is in the 80s in the States. And so, the, so for, for those who are too young to, have, to remember this, I mean, the allegation was that, you know, satanic cults had infiltrated preschools and they just, in a very, you know, uh, um, conspiratorial way, had decided to just get access to kids so that they could perform human sacrifices and abuse, ritual abuse. And this was now happening at scale in American society. And, you know, we had this massive pride and, and it was, you know, who knows what was you know, truly at the bottom of it, and you know whether it's, you know, certain you know rock lyrics were getting into the heads of teenagers and spawning a a, a generation of devil worshippers. You know who who could who could tell? But we we clearly have a problem on our hands. And so Lawrence Wright, uh, in kind of getting onboarded to this phenomenon, went to a seminar run by law enforcement. I think I'm not sure if it was in, it might have been in Texas. Um, where he's lived for many years, um, so it's just this is you know a, a seminar for you know journalists run by law enforcement, and he remembers that moment where the you know the sheriff or some uh, uh, Leo um, said to the group last year, fifty thousand children were murdered in ritual sacrifices by satanic cults in this country. Right. This, is a, this is a cop saying this. And it, it took Lawrence, you know, five seconds to understand that there's been no year in American history where there have been 50,000 murders of any kind, right? And that yet here we have a cop saying that, that uh, 50,000 kids have been killed. Like, there's 50,000 missing, you know, and murdered kids, right? Um, so w- what explains that level of confusion and derangement, right? Like, so we're, we're in a moment like that. And here's the question yeah. we were going to ask you about that. And I'm really yeah. glad you phrased it in that way, Sam, because I was a big fan of the New Atheist Movement. Uh, uh, Francis and I, are not, none, none of the three of us are, are religious. Right. I was a big admirer, and still am a big admirer of yours, Richard Dawkins. I read many of his books. Um, however, mm. is it possible... Just is it possible that people like us who think in the way that we do have forgotten that thing? I think it was a Chesterton who said this, that when you stop believing in God, you don't believe in nothing, you believe in anything. Right. Is it possible that this new religion, and I certainly see wokeness as a religion, is a product of a society that has let go of that religion that it used to follow? Well, I, I think it's... I mean, the short answer is probably not because I think many of the woke are, you know, religious by my lights. I mean, they would certainly claim to be religious. It's not like you have a, 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 a I don't know if polling research exists on this. It'd be interesting to run these polls. But yes, yes, loss of faith has been kind of ramping up in, in America, I mean, you know, really in, in all secular democracies. Um but it's still not, you know, you, you don't have a minority of people, you don't have a majority of people identified as atheists, right? And, this, and the minority that identify with atheists is still, I mean, still in the single digits because, because atheism as a concept is just, has got bad, you know, PR associated with it. Um, you have something like 20 to 25% of the so-called nuns who are, again, these are not people who identify as atheists, but these are people who would say they're not identified with any specific church. 
but you still have most people who are, you know, at least nominally Christian and, and pretend to care about being Christian you know, in, in the U.S. at this moment. And you have something like fully half who are, you know, really will check many or mo you know, all of the boxes to, to attest to their belief. Um, I mean, it's more than half. You know, it's, if you ask, if you, and, so, and again, a lot of these people are on the Christian right, but mm. many of them are, are, are woke or woke adjacent. You know, it's like I just was on Van Jones's podcast, right? Now he's not, I mean, he's much woker than either, any of us. Um, I think he's probably said some rational, pragmatic things. We didn't actually talk he about has. this topic. I remember yeah. seeing some of that, He's yeah. kind of taken the, the Obama line of like, like just saying, listen, kids, like this is not, you know, there are bigger problems than pronouns or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how he touched it. But um, but still, he's like, he's someone whose coverage of Black Lives Matter, I would have, you know, many critical things to say about. Mm -hmm. And, and um, uh, again, the topic didn't come up. But he's, you know, he's someone who, if you ask him, do you think Jesus will be re returning to earth to raise the living and the dead? I am pretty sure he would say yes, right? And 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 you'd be surprised at the number at the number of the percentage of sober, non-Bible thumping people would say yes to that question. I mean, I was I've been amazed at the like the, the people who I who I would have bet a lot of money would be uh, would be skeptical of that piece. They would they, they they might be Christian. They might be like, listen, I love the Bible. It gives me a great moral framework. He gives my kids a great moral framework. The you know, this is the, the this is the tradition I'm identified with. It's, this is all super important to me. Um, but that's kind of as far as it goes, right? Like I'm not going to make magical, magical claims about flying saviors who are literally going to come down from where where is heaven exactly? Given that we have, you know, uh, multiple uh, telescopes up there, you know, d beaming back, you know tens of billions of, uh, of years worth of, of uh, information. Um, I'm amazed at the number of people who will bite the bullet on the core doctrine and say, yeah, I think Jesus is going to come back and raise the dead. Right? But Sam, yeah. surely you have to agree in a society which is becoming ever more atomized. Let me, just, let me just close the loop yeah, on sure, it. Go, the, go for it. Many of these people are woke, right? Yeah. So you can't say, you can't, the punchline can't be, well, they lost their religion, and now they're, they're, they're just, they have a vacuum of an ethical and and um, existential vacuum that they're filling with wokeness. Now, there's I, I I would grant you that it's and don't lose your point. Yeah. I would grant you that it's drawing a lot of quasi spiritual, quasi religious energy from the fact that most people in our society even if they're nominally religious, really are, are struggling to, to find meaning in their, in their day-to-day. Day. But yeah. when, you, when you look at just the kind of the, the hour-by-hour increments at which, you know, life is doled out to us, like you get up and, you know, you're, just, you're, you're cast out of, you know, deep sleep or, or you know, the phantasmagoria of, of dreams, you know, when the alarm goes off in the morning and how do you feel about your life and what is going to give you moral urgency and meaning at a lot of 
millions and millions of people found it at, at specific moments in our in our you know recent history. Like and you know the George Floyd killing was certainly one of those moments where it's like okay, this is enough is enough. Like this is my religion, right? And and that's um, it's understandable. And it is yes, it it does have a religious dynamic. Uh, and there's a religious dynamic. I mean, to, to, to call it religious is to just basically say, it's actually an, an invidious statement about religion. It's basically saying, like, all the things I don't like about religion is tribalism, it's dogmatism, it's, it's immunity to good arguments and good evidence, right? The fact that it, just, it can't be reasoned with, really, because it's just chucked reason out the door, you know, initially. Or, and, and what it's brought back in the name of reason is functioning under the... The, the the sort of the new physics of just casuistry, like like we already know that God exists and we know that the Bible is perfect or we know the Quran is perfect. And so within that frame, now we're going to get really reasonable, like, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas or um, uh, St. Augustine. Uh, that's all the stuff about, relig about religion that I find uh, so obviously wrong and it's so easy to see once you're not indoctrinated into that religion a lot of that is explains what is happening politically on the far left and the far right at the moment, or you know the far right being Trumpistan, right? Uh, so Sam, but you, I think all of us have got to admit that in a society we're becoming ever more atomized, where people are becoming more isolated. Religion, organized religion. It was a bond. It was a community. People could go. They could meet other people. They could feel connected. And so when people are disconnected, they're going to look for ways to connect with someone else. And what better way to do that was then with, you know, I support this political movement, BLM. Yeah. Or, you know, you share the same immutable characteristics as me. You know, I'm gay or I'm black or et cetera, et cetera. And because we're so desperate, because we're literally programmed to form communities that we're going to have this ideology which is going to enable us to create a community. Yeah, and and on the woke side, it has this, I mean, it has a precursor in Christianity, but it's it's um, somehow in a purer form now. It has inverted the, the, the value structure such that, you know, the, the lower status you are, the higher status you you come out. You know, once yeah. the calculation has been done, it's like mm -hmm. you know Dungeons and Dragons with the, sort of the new dice, where it's like the, the the least power points you have, you know, you you know the, the more you find yourself winning, and so the the victimology of it is, um, you know, and the and the meek shall inherit the earth. I mean, it's really it is that ethos um, implemented in a very weird way um, and sort of gamified somehow uh, in all of the intersectionality details of it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, there's no question people draw a tremendous amount of energy and, you know, I hesitate to say meaning. I mean, it's a meaning in scare quotes from this. And it's all, I mean, I guess, so I mean, to steel man, all of it, you know, briefly, it, it is, again, it's, especially on the left, it's genuinely confusing, right? Like, like the, 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 the mad work that, that tiny pieces of misinformation or, or just fraudulent assumptions is doing is um, 
it's really impossible to exaggerate. I mean, so if you ask most people who, like most people who saw the George Floyd moment, I mean, it's, um, again, I, I don't know, it's, we've yet to totally understand what happened there because like, you know, who knows, I mean, I, I just let's bracket that because I don't, we still don't know who Derek Chauvin really is and why he did what he did, right? So like either it was a racist murder or it was a, you know, his brain malfunctioned or like, I, I just, I don't, I honestly, I look at that video, I don't know what I'm looking at there. It's just, a, it's a, apart from the, the, the horrible uh, killing of, of a person who certainly did not need to be killed in that situation. Um, but you ask most, most people who saw that, the vast majority of people who saw that, you know, certainly left of center would bet their lives, bet the lives of their children that what they saw there was a a racist lynching, right? Like that was a we have, what we have is a white man killing a black man because of racism, because like that wouldn't have happened to a white man. It wouldn't have been perpetrated by a black man. Race is a hundred percent of the, the explanatory variable there, um, and not only was that as unambiguously evil and sadistic and racist as it seemed, that happens thousands of times a year in America. Like you ask people to estimate, how many, how many black people do you think get murdered by white racist cops in America every year? They imagine, we're, we're talking thousands, right? So if you believe that, right, then what would you do? Mm-hmm. You know, what would you, you know, wouldn't you too take to the streets when, when everyone says we're we're going to you know we're we're, we're protesting uh, on Tuesday, of course, right? So it's like so you don't have to add too many pieces of uh, you know distorting you know uh, pseudo facts to get to get people who I otherwise totally understand to mouth you know all, you know all the the predictable pieties on this topic, but the truth is. All of that is wrong, right? Like, you know, it's, you can count on, on two hands the number of unarmed black men who get killed every year by cops. Um, and you can count more white people who get killed every year by cops, right? A, under identical circumstances. Uh, again, I've, I've talked about this on my podcast, so we need not go there. Those who are interested could look at um, the episode, Can We Pull Back from the Brink? It was beautifully done. Yeah, like two hours I talk about this. It was exactly what needed to be said in that moment. I really congratulate you on that. I invite people to go and find that. Really very good. Yeah, so we can leave that aside. But the the, the, the misinformation or the, the faulty assumptions occur at the highest level, right? It's like this is not, you know, I mean, does, I guess there are some people who actually know what is real here and are just cynically manipulating the politics. But I mean, it's, it's hard for me to believe that someone like Kamala Harris doesn't actually know the numbers, right? But um, it's not in her political interests or in what she conceives of as her political interests to act like she knows the numbers, right? Um, but anyway, it's, so it's, it's not, I mean, the charitable view is there, there are very few people who are consciously lying um, or seeking to 
do things that they know are wrong. I mean, just con conscious evil is a, is a rare thing. Yes. And um, mostly useful idiots is what I talk about yeah. in my book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree with you. Sam, listen, you've been very generous with your time. There's about 50 other questions we want to ask you. Yeah. We're not going to get a chance to. Uh, so we'll pick out from our, we do a couple of questions for our supporters. So I'll make sure to pick out a, a sure. COVID question because that's Let's that came it. up a lot. Okay. Um, there was Before we ask you the final question, if you don't mind, uh, a few more minutes. Go for it. Um, I wanted, well, Francis and I both wanted actually to ask you, we've talked about these very divisive things and people will have a different opinion about Trump and COVID and, and Brexit and all of this stuff, whatever you want to. But one thing that strikes me is you're one of the few people that we've met who is content, mm. who's happy. I can tell. Right. How does, how, if people are watching this and they would like to be happy, in spite of all the terrible things that they think yeah, about, they yeah. see happening on Twitter, it strikes me, Francis uses your app every morning. Mm. How do you, how does one in the modern world get closer to that point where whatever's happening out, whatever storms are out there, you are calm and peaceful inside? Well, first, let me say, I'm, not, I'm certainly not always calm and peaceful, but the half-life- Your voice is, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Your voice uh, is great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the truth is, so, I mean, so the, the backstory here is that, you know, in my early 20s, I got really into meditation. Mm -hmm. And I mean, so first psychedelics, just showed me that it was possible to have a very different experience of the world and uh, and that there was a landscape of mind that could be explored based on just how you paid attention to experience, right? So I, I, prior to psychedelics, I would have really just been kind of waiting for the third-person brain-based discussion to deliver you know, all the right answers about, you know, what the human mind is. And it was it was pretty well-established and still is, you know, thought to be well-established in Western science, you know, psychological science, cognitive science, and even, even um, Western philosophy, that introspection was a dead end. I mean, they mm -hmm. tried to get it off the ground somewhere around 120 years ago, and it just, you know, you, you come up short almost immediately. I mean, the truth is you, can't, you close your eyes and you, you look inside, and you can't even tell that you have a brain. Right, much less that the brain is doing all of these complex things that is actually delivering your experience of the world. So, um, and I mean, this is just one curious asymmetry of kind of you know, cultural wisdom in the East. You know, for all the failings of what didn't happen civilizationally in in Eastern culture, uh, and, there's a, and there's a lot to be said about that. Um, they didn't lose this strand of wisdom, which is there actually is something to be discovered in a first-person way about the nature of your own mind that is liberating, right? Like the, you, you suffer by a certain um, machinery, a certain dynamics, which, you, which could be either completely inscrutable to you or can become more and more transparent and, and in its transparency, less and less operative on a, you know, a moment by moment basis. And so, so, I mean, take any of the topics we've talked about. So we, we, we've talked about me getting on Twitter and getting really spun up over, you know, somebody saying something about me or about something else that I care about. Um, you know, I've talked about, you know, anyone who thinks I have Trump derangement syndrome mm -hmm. is going to look at me and say, well, you're, you're, why are you talking to this guy about meditation? This guy's so worked up over Trump. You know, what a, it's like, this is a, you know, it's a, it's a performative contradiction, right? Um, that's actually to misunderstand my 
you know, emotional relationship to the phenomenon of Trump, right? Like, like, like I can say everything I say about and, and think about Trump without spending much time feeling contracted around Trump. I mean, but it's not to say, it's not, that's not to say no time, but it's just much less time than I otherwise would if I, if I didn't know how to, to you know, quote, meditate, right? Now, med- the word meditation can mean many different things to, to people, but what I think it should mean is a, just a simple recognition of what consciousness is like prior to entanglement with thought, right? So we're all, three of us are sitting here and we're having a, an experience of the world that's happening in, you know, five sensory channels, but there's this, there's this other mode or this other, you know, aspect to our condition, which is our thinking about what we directly experience through our senses, right? And the, for, for most people, most of the time, the thoughts are incessant and uninspected, right? And, and, un, and their arising is unnoticed, right? So you're just, it just feels like you, right? It's like, so you'll say something that I disagree with and there's a voice in me which says, what's he talking about? Or like, what does that mean? Or like, well, like, like, but what he did, but you just like, there's this, that voice that, you know, is that either feels like a self. I mean, in, in, you know, nearly a hundred percent of the cases that just feels like I, right. That feels like uh, it's me. And then you're, you're told something about the project of, well, again, you, so you, you could have an experience haphazardly or on psychedelics where that get that identification gets interrupted right where all of a sudden there's just the mind is suddenly much more vast than that right it doesn't feel like there's a subject in the head looking out through your eyes at a world that's not you and you know forever implicated by the glances of other people and the opinions of other people and it's just me in here this sort of embattled ego trying to navigate a world that is fundamentally or at least potentially hostile to my interests, right? Like that subject-object dichotomy where it's just like I'm the man in the boat trying to steer it, you know, to to, to some safe place uh, and not go over the falls emotionally. Um, That suddenly relaxes. Again, it it matters now, I guess maybe I'm talking about psychedelics because it's it's more more, uh, replicatable for people depending on what drug you've taken, that can relax in one or another way. I mean, MDMA is really just the relaxing of the, the emotional tone of all that without the, the, the pyrotechnics of, of changing your perceptions. If it's LSD or psilocybin, you can have a, a real, much more fundamental transformation of how you perceive the world. But whatever's the case, it just so happens that our, our nervous systems are perturbable, pharmacologically or just by happenstance, right? This could happen to you just because it happens to you, right? Um, And people have those stories. But there's vast testimony on this topic that you you can experience your mind as a much vaster place than you tend to experience it as. And, um, and then when you come back from one of the, those experiences, you might become interested in what is it that trims it down so reliably to, uh, reliably to this experience of confinement where you feel like 
it's just me here feeling uptight again, right? You know, like what's what's that about? Um, you know, virtually a hundred percent of of that is just what it's like to be you, identified with thought. And then, if you're if you're identified with thought habitually, you are at the mercy of whatever you happen to think about, right? So it's just like there's a. I mean, I've. I've I mean, the analogy I've drawn somewhere is just, it's really, it's like the most boring person in the world comes through the front door of your house and takes you hostage, right? Like, <laughs> you know, follows you from room to room, yeah. telling you the same stories over and over again. You can't shut him up and you can't get away from him. And it's just, and that's your life, right? And you're you're thinking about the past, about what you could have said or should have said or almost said. You're thinking about the future. What what's this? What's you know? How's this going to go? And most of the futures you you visualize never happen the way you you've obsessed about them in the first place. So like ninety nine percent of your self talk is, I mean, at best it's neutral with respect to its emotional tone. I mean, that's really. I mean, some people have. I'm you know convinced some people have a fairly happy self talk, and that's a you know, they, it's sort of hard to get through to them because they really don't think of themselves as ever suffering much psychologically, right? They, they, they're very confident. They love the people in their lives. They get a lot of love back. They're not really conflict. They don't have regrets and disappointments that they're trailing. They're not, you know, they're not worried about anything and they just want to get up and do it again tomorrow because they're having so much fun. There are people like that. Psychopaths. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, most people are not like that, right? Most people no. are, are, are sensitive to this criticism of the default, which is most of what you're saying to yourself isn't making you happy. And worse, it's, it's predicated on a fundamental illusion of selfhood, of identification with this, this subset of your, uh, your mental experience, which is this, again, the, this, this discursive thought. Um, and when you break that identification... There's just much more space there, and the past, and, and the, and the, I mean, the, 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 it is in thought, it's in, in identification with thought that the past and the future exert their weight on the present, right? So, like, it's like we're, it's because we're we're processing everything we experience in the present through this scrim of discursive thought that we don't we never actually make satisfying contact with the present or we rarely do and and those moments where we do you know those those peak kind of peak experience moments what has made it be a peak is breaking the spell of thought for long enough for just to let in some of of the breeze of you know awareness that is always I mean it's always there but we just don't you know we're blocking it continually we just haven't opened the door or the window um and it's um, so meditation really is again. There are many different techniques, or many different ways to to describe it and frame it. In the end, it's actually not even a practice you're doing. It's not. It, 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 in the end, it is something you're ceasing to do. I mean, you're, it's, it's just it's non-distraction. You're ceasing to be distracted by thought. You're, you're starting to notice thoughts themselves as appearances in consciousness, and noticed as as appearances. They don't have force. They don't have. They don't have, certainly don't have emotional force. It's not like you be, suddenly become an idiot and you can't figure out what you want to eat for dinner or you know how to how to find your car or. I mean, you can you can think and you can plan, but 
the moment you you begin to suffer you become you, you your your new default is to become interested in it's like a, it's, it's like a mindfulness alarm uh, you know uh, uh, starts sounding and then you relax your identification with it just the, just the the um, the physiology of suffering I mean so to, to bring it back to what we were just talking about so yeah there's a moment where I notice something that I find you know, either like personally annoying or, or the appropriate target of moral outrage. I mean, I, I don't think we should get rid... Mm-hmm. I'm not envisioning psychological health as being synonymous with never being angry ever again or never being fearful ever again. I mean, the, you know, negative emotions are, you know, from, from a, an enlightened point of view in my book, are still salience cues, right? Like if I walk outside this house on the way to my car... And someone physically attacks me on the sidewalk, like I don't want to be just a puddle of goo, you know, just <laughs> beaming love at the person. Like now, it's not—it's not to say that there's not—that's not a possible state of consciousness. It, it certainly is, and it actually there there are definitely scenarios where that that quote works, right? Like just being the guy who's you know beaming unconditional love as your only response to anything, right? It's possible to get out of some physical altercation because it's just so surprising, right? Someone comes to mug you and you're just, you know, you're, you know, you're on MDMA and you just say, listen, <laughs> man, I love you, right? <laughs> like that could either, like that could turn out well, but practically speaking, it strikes me as totally a- appropriate to feel these kind of punctate, neg- classically negative emotions. The, qu- the, the real question is, how long do they last and what are they good for? Like what, like when, when is it, when do you, when do you want to cease being angry so that you can actually function intelligently? And in my book, it happens very, very soon after the arising of anger. I mean, like you don't, you don't want to stay angry, right? Like, but the, but the initial jolt of anger in, in many cases, is totally appropriate, and it is the orienting response that you actually need to respond intelligently to the, you know, whatever the, you know, emergency or quasi-emergency is. Um, so, but once you know how to meditate, you do notice that the half-life of negative emotions is really, really brief. I mean, it's, it's actually impossible to stay angry or embarrassed or, you know, whatever it is. Pick your negative emotion for longer than, you know, some tens of seconds unless you're then you're you're taken in by thought again about why you should be angry or why you should be embarrassed. And um yeah, your life becomes completely different when you can get off the ride. You know, I mean the, the difference between between being angry for 10 seconds and being angry for 10 minutes even, you know, much less 10 hours or 10 days is enormous, right? I mean, just you just think of how life deranging those periods are where you're just helplessly motivated by anger, right? I mean, 10 minutes is enough to, to completely fuck up your life, right? I mean, to say the thing to your spouse that you you can't, you know, to, to ring the bell you can't unring, you know? And I mean, just like, the, you, you just see how people's lives run off the rails because their minds are out of control. And, and literally... Everything we see out there, 
that is producing massive human suffering and and you know existential risk even you know like literally everything beyond naturally occurring disasters right is a matter of people's minds being out of control right i mean we just have we just have we're running terrible legacy code you know in a condition of increasingly destabilizing power amplified by technology. I mean, it's getting increasingly easy for one person to screw it up for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the, the, the topic of existential risk is its own thing, which I've, you know, I'm focusing on more and more. I think it's, you know, it's, and it's, you know, neglected to a scary degree. I mean, it's just, they're just not that, they're not enough people thinking about how we can shore up our civilization against existential risk and, you know, man-made and otherwise. But, I mean, so much of the daily evidence of conflict and needless human misery is just, is just born of people being captured by their thoughts and not knowing that there's any alternative, right? They're just, they're just talking to themselves, right? They're, and they're just claiming to know things that they don't know and being persuaded by those, those inner proclamations, right? I mean, just like, what does it feel like to have a very strong opinion that is going to dictate everything you do next. And how often is that just an automaticity that's totally uninspected that would be, could be completely deflated just with another, with just a a moment's pause if you only knew how to, you know, or just take the other side in that. Forget about meditation for a moment, just the, the ability to be skeptical about one's own Opinions like that's just talk about an untrained skill. I mean, that's just something that almost nobody has, right? No, nobody even has it as a possible norm that you could endorse, even in the abstract, right? Like, why would you want to be skeptical about your own opinions? Mm-hmm. I think, like, this, this is just what I think. Um, that's why I'm like you, yeah. I'm always starting debates around the dinner table because I'm always testing what I think against what other people think, and because I'm aware that it's just thought and it needs right. refining, but anyway. We've got one. F- Sam, first yeah. of all, thank you so much for coming no, happy on the show. To do it. What a pleasure. pleasure to see yeah, you yeah. and speak with you and get a little bit of your opinion and wisdom. Um, can I just say, if people are listening to this, I use your app. It's actually brilliant and it has changed oh, nice. my life. The ability to just sit and meditate for 10 minutes every morning is one of the most, if not the best way to deal with obtrusive and obsessional thoughts. Which, yeah. Every right. time he comes into the studio and yeah. he's all over the place, they go, have you meditated? Right. The answer is always no. Right. Yeah, right. so yeah. thank you. No, yeah, it's brilliant. And the podcast, Making Sense with Sam Harris. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, like we talked about during the BLM situation, you covered it, I thought, exactly the way that it needed to be covered. And you have important conversations on there. Uh, we'll do a couple of questions for our locals. I will ask you about COVID because we promised people we'd do that. Sure. Uh, but before we do, our final question is always the same. What's the one thing we're not talking about that we really should be? In this conversation or just or in, as a society? As a society. Um, well, we've touched on pieces of it. I mean, I do think that, uh, again, at, at the generic level, I mean, the, the problem is always failures of cooperation for us at this point. I mean, like, like virtually anything that's going to just happen to us, you know, coughed up by the, the hand of nature, 
we can figure out how to solve at this point. I mean, I think, I mean, including a, an asteroid hurtling toward, towards us. I mean, at this point, we have enough tech, and I'm not so sure we have enough people watching, but close, that we'll, you know, we'd have you know, tens of years, right? And we'd have some decades to, to deal with a problem, that specific problem. Um, but so all of our problems on some level of our, are of our own making. I mean, I mean, if nothing else, it's just our, the opportunity costs born of all of the needless bullshit we get entangled with based on our own, you know, you know, incapacity to cooperate. So it's, it's just, it's, um, and that's the first order of business, business and the next one to figure out how we can have successful conversations on some level, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because again, all we have is, is a capacity to persuade one another so as to engineer, you know, forward-looking cooperation, or we have violence, right? And like in the end, it's like we just have to force people to do stuff if we can't persuade them to do stuff or that they, you know, they, they can't come to the, the epiphanies on their own. Um, and that's where politics comes in. Um, and, but more and more, I think we're in a situation where because of technology, it's, um, it's strangely getting harder and harder to, to get our, you know, our cognitive horizons to, to fuse, right? We've got 8 billion strangers, more or less, trying to figure out how to cooperate. And persuasion is the only good tool. Again, I mean, for, I mean we're going to have to use force in certain circumstances. And, I'm, you know, and I, I think we should be very... I don't think pacifism is, 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 a, is a plan there. I mean, I think we actually do need to have our force game together to, for, for the situations where we need it, you know, and that's individually and collectively, right, at the level of nation states um, as well. But, I'm, yeah, I'm increasingly worried about our incapacity to converge on a, just a dispassionate, fact-based discussion on things that are just so easy to assess. I mean, just like we've touched several topics here, but just like how many people of any identity get killed by cops every year in America? And just like, and what are, it's like, how does that relate to the levels of crime, you know, perpetrated by people of various identities? And like, like what situations are cops actually getting into? And what are their reasonable expectations of people in a society where there are 400 million guns, you know, like why is it different when an American suddenly turns around and reaches into the cab of his pickup truck while getting arrested than when that happens in Japan, right? Like where there are no, where there are no guns, right? This is such an, this should be such an easy conversation to have, right? There should be no, like, like, I mean, this is, it's not even, I mean, it's it's hard to think of a simpler one where the facts are easier to get. Yeah. I mean, most of the and and most of the stuff is on you know, so much of the stuff is on videotape. It's so easy to parse. Um, it's repeatable year after year. It's a problem that everyone like. It's in no one's interest that the problem be bigger than it is and not smaller than it is. Like we want, we we all want to solve this problem, right? Um, and we find it impossible to talk about. See, so your problem is, Sam, you meditate too much and you're too smart. You th- and you think other people are like you, but they're not, you know. Well, no, but I, I, I know, like, there's none of this is foreign to me. I know what it's like to get emotionally hijacked by, any, by something, 
right? Whether it's something that happens right in front of you and your, or yeah, but your, you care your about ideas the truth. about it. You care about the truth. And so you will get emotionally hijacked and then you will go and look at the facts. Yeah, yeah. Most people just get emotionally hijacked. Yeah, yeah. So we, I mean, we need, that is a, uh, I mean, certainly a software flaw in our operating system. It's not a feature. And I mean, one way I've summarized this in the past for people is that, I mean, your, your capacity to be offended is not something that anyone need or should respect in you. Like that's just not, it's, it's not an argument, certainly not an <laughs> argument, but it's not even a basis for respect. Like, like that, like table stakes for any ethical conversation is more than just your capacity to be offended, right? And um, until you understand that, like you're just, you're just not, you, you you can't play the game we need to play in order to to ensure an open-ended circumstance of cooperation. What a great note to finish on. Sam Harris, thank you so much for coming on. We really Pleasure. recommend you check out Sam's podcast and his brilliant app. We're going to ask him a couple of questions from you for you. But for now, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Really great, pleasure, great to meet you and nice great to, meet to chat. Yeah. We'll see you very soon with another brilliant episode. I mean, it won't be quite like this, but it will be a brilliant episode as well, or Raw Show. All of them go out at 7 p.m. UK time. And for those of you who like your trigonometry on the go, it's also available as a podcast. Take care and see you soon, guys. Some of our listeners would be disappointed in how you handled yourself during COVID. Um, how do you reflect on the way you thought and spoke about COVID? Are you happy with it? Uh, would you have done it differently? Well, Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.